Hey, it's Kathy with Rocky Retirement. And as promised, today's Friday, and so you'll be getting to listen to Henry Shapiro's Retired Excited. I know you're just going to love this as much as I do. And don't forget, you can still listen to Rock Your Retirement, where I'm the host, and those shows are released on Mondays. Welcome to the Retired Excited Podcast. Retired Excited, the show where we give retired and want-to-be-retired folk a look at how great retired life can be. Here we talk to men and women who are happily retired and loving their life. Together, we will delve into what retired happiness really looks like and how anyone can achieve it. Here is your host, Henry Shapiro. Hey folks, Henry here at Retired Excited, the show providing inspiration for people who are nearly retired, newly retired, or say they're never going to retire. Here we talk to retired people doing things that make them happy, things from stamp collecting to cruising, from dancing to touring the world on a motorbike. We talk to everyday retired people who are living the life they want, and we talk to a few professionals to get expert advice, and I chip in with some of my own experiences. Welcome everybody to episode number 19 of Retired Excited. It's Henry here as usual and today we are going to talk to a man who was involved in a sport during his life which many of you would have absolutely balked at even considering. Jim Moyer was a competitive parachutist. We find out all about that sport, we delve into his background, his life, how he became involved in the sport and the many, many places that being involved in that sport took him, took him all around the world. One way or another, Jim became involved in the Australian team and managed and competed with the Australian team here and overseas. And that led to lots of adventures. He talks about some of those adventures that he and his wife became stuck with. I guess that's the way to, really the way to say it. Things seem to have happened to him along the way. We talk about the, the sport of parachuting as it applies now in 2016. Things have changed a lot. Jim says he's obviously too old to uh, be involved in the sport. Why? Because the young blokes are thrashing him. He talks about how his wife started as a complete novice and he trained her with others. And within two years, she was able to develop the skills to become part of the Australian team and become Australian champion. So let's hear Jim's story. Morning, Jim. How are you today? (laughs) I'm very well, Henry. Fantastic. And how are you? I'm well. It's a freezing bloody morning, but... Ah, that's all right. But, you know, being retired, we can stay in bed a little longer. <laughs> and we did. Yes. <laughs> Jim, I just want to go over what you were doing before you retired. I know you had a profession. What were you doing? I was in construction. I worked for a large American company. So I did a bit of travelling around the world with them. Doing well, major construction. You weren't swinging a hammer. What were you doing? I was project management. And then just sort of fell into various jobs since then. And you were working down at... The aluminium smelter. That's right. Uh, I got in Canada and got transferred to America, then from there to New Zealand, then from New Zealand to uh, Portland Aluminium when we built a smelter there. Good job? Yeah, it was good. Yep. I always remember Bechtel's theory was I had to be there half an hour before the workforce arrived so I could see 
Everything right. was right. Yeah. And I had to be there half an hour after they left so I could check if everything was ready. <laughs> that didn't go down too well with me. No, I can imagine. <laughs> but they sent you all over the world doing stuff. Yes. Yeah, they were very good. It's a private company, so they were excellent. Riley Bechtel was good. Steve Bechtel was good. Did you enjoy that? Enjoy the travel? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I like travelling. And what sort of places did you go to? Oh, I think at the moment, I counted up the other day, I think we're up to 70 countries. So 70 countries? Yeah, picking them up. The rule is that you have to have been there for a period of time, like a day. You know. <laughs> yes, yes. You can't count them as a transit stop. It's got to be somewhere you actually get off the plane and go into the city and buy a beer. Was that a formal retirement or did you get laid off? No, it was a formal retirement. A formal retirement? Yes. Like after gold, gold watch? Yes, I got a, a couple of Rolexes, one for him and one for her, both of which have been lost. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. But no, retired. And prior to that, we had a, a deer farm. I worked part-time whilst I was working at a smelter. When I retired, we moved up to just outside Horsham and bought 1,500 acres up there. Yep. So if you can call retiring to a full-time farm retiring, <laughs> we retired no. up there. Listeners know that uh, I also had a deer farm, and obviously that's how I know you. And I can tell you, listeners, it's not a retirement job, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's hard mentally, it's hard physically, and it's hard financially. Yes. <laughs> the only best part of the financial is when we sold. <laughs> and I think it's a... Gives you an exercise in economics. You buy high and sell low. <laughs> now, when you sold the farm, you had the choice of doing lots of things, and you moved up to the city. That's right. I, I, one of the main reasons for selling the farm was my wife died. It was a bit hard just being there on your own. I, yes, I remember imagine. telling the children, "Sort of, uh, it's all right. You start talking to the walls, but yeah. when the walls start answering you back, it's time to move." <laughs> So I decided I'd move, and I grew up in Melbourne, so Melbourne was the choice, and I looked around what to do. I wanted to do some travelling. You have to do something in retirement. Yes, yes. So I moved into one of these um, over 55 places, mm-hmm. which is good. That I thought that would force me to meet new people and do new things. And it's virtually in the middle of town, isn't it? It's it very, is. very close to the centre of town. Yeah, yeah. So you moved here... Because you said it would force you to meet people and be out and about, not on your own. Yes. Did that? Did that work? Yes. That, yes. That expectation. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's worked great. I'm sort of a, at the moment. I'm sort of president of the social club and vice chair of the residence committee. So in the building that uh, gives me things to do, and I sort of keep the books for the bar and things like that. So you're busy. Busy. In fact, I'm very busy. Sort of. Uh, Mondays are golf in the afternoon, then nibbles in the oh. evening, <laughs> and then there's uh, poker uh, every fortnight Monday, then there's 500 every fortnight Thursday. You wanted to make sure that you had company and were... And oh, look, it was, so obviously you think that being having friends around you and people around that is important. Yes. And why? What What is the importance of that in your mind? Well, I think that sort of um, you become part of a community and it feels good just to know that you can walk down and have a cup of coffee downstairs and meet some people you know and have a chat, talk about politics or religion or anything you like that you're not supposed to talk about with them. And it's comforting to know. That there's people around you. Yeah. Is, is it a security issue as well? Yes, it is. When I came out the moment, I looked at sort of condominium type things and that, and I'd always want to do a bit more traveling. So the thought of just leaving it and getting robbed was yes. a bit too much. Yes. 
Whereas here, everything's pretty secure. You just walk out the door and say, look, I'll be gone. I'll be back in a week. And, you know, the security and things will look after. Someone will feed the plants and things like that. Yeah. Listeners, uh, Jim is on the fifth floor of a six-story building uh, with a big picture window that looks out over Melbourne. And it's a a really, really lovely place. It is. The the part that got me was the view. Let's move on from that. So now you're here in your new apartment, Mm -hmm. wondering what to do with yourself. I know that you're involved in cycling. Yes. And there's a group here. Yes, there's a few of us go cycling. We do up to 50K, just uh, down to Brighton or somewhere around there and back again. Trying to keep on bike paths. I just don't like the traffic. <laughs> I can understand that. Um, so we do that. Uh, we used to do quite a lot of the charity things like over the bridge and the yeah. around the bay type things. So we did them. Uh, so you got the cycling? Yep. You, you play golf? We, I, I took up golf when we came here. So we play golf twice a week. Yeah. Uh, Mondays and Fridays afternoon just nine holes yes. just around the corner so that that's good and then i sort of met some old mates and um i used to do a lot of parachuting and that's what i want to talk to you about oh right well they sort of um one of the guys said to me well why don't you do something and i said oh what i'm so old and quit. i'm not t- doing jumping anymore right. quit that so i took up judging mm-hmm. so now i uh, judge in australia and have been around to all the states judging now you must have been pretty good at it I was mediocre. Mediocre. <laughs> I think you were part of a team initially, weren't you? Yes. Yes. I Tell us about that story. Oh, I went over in 64 to the world champs over in, in Germany as a spectator and mm-hmm. end up sort of the usual thing. In those days, you had enough money to go, but not enough money to come back. So, <laughs> so we had to find work. Uh, worked um, around Europe for about four or so years and finally got enough money to come back. And then, then I went back with the team back in uh, 68 and 70 and... As a member of the team? Yeah. In the last couple of times, I was manager. So you're jumping competitively? Yeah, jumped competitively until the young guys started beating the hell out of me and I quit <laughs> that. <right>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, then I, I sort of um, quit when we moved to Canada after the 72 world champs mm-hmm. and got married in Canada and it was too cold to <laughs> do it there oh, and it was winter half of the year. Yeah. So I gave up. Gave up jumping and took up skiing, right? which did wonders for my knees. Listeners, once again, I know Jim's background because I've uh, known him for many years. And so I can ask leading questions. Yes. Your late wife, Jill, yes. was also a, a parachutist. Yes. Yep. And I know you trained her. Yes. And yep. you had an, an unusual way of training her. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we convinced the authorities that the best way to train trainer was to uh, just jump with good people. Right. So we bypassed a lot of the old training regimes and sort of... What were the old training regimes? Oh, sort of regimes. jump off the back of a truck and roll and hurt yourself and things like that. <laughs> right. To get out of spins, you have to learn to get into them. Right. So we said, that's ridiculous. Don't If you never learn how to go into them, you never do them. So we... A spin, it that. sounds as though a spin is a very diabolical... Well, yes. I mean, in the old days, they used to, the medical people used to tell you, you get a fast spin, you'll go unconscious, which okay. doesn't happen at all. Right. But like most medicine, it's sort of a, what you're taught 10 years later, you find not to be correct. <laughs> anyway, we, we taught her, and then she was good. She won the Australian Championships a year after we started training her. So she In was, a year, she went from can't well, jump to... Uh, about a year and a half. We got her start training her. It was an off year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's right. And no, no. the next year she came second, I think. So it was all right. 
she was on a team and went with her over to uh, Oklahoma in 72. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after that, we decided to just go traveling a little bit and uh, the car broke down in Edmonton, Canada. Yes. <laughs> we didn't have enough money to fix it, so we had to stop work. And we ended up staying there for about seven years. Right. So you continued your interest, an interest you had early in life. You've now continued into your retirement. Yes. And you are now a judge. That's right, yeah. And where do, where do you judge and what do you judge? Well, I judge all the disciplines except one which I'm going to do another course uh, in July and hopefully that'll give me all the disciplines of accuracy, style, formation, canopy, relative work, things like that. Mm-hmm. So do it. You go to the, mainly to state meets and then to the nationals. We just finished the nationals at Nagambi. And I've done a few of that. It gets me around. I went to one in Indonesia and I've been to one in Bosnia. Is this done on a voluntary basis? Yes, it is. I think it's like most things. I think, you know, we, you say parachuting, but anybody can do it. Any old sport they used to do when they were a kid, be it football or cricket or something right. like that, you can get into it in the same sort of thing as I'm doing. And it, it gives you an end. I think at the moment I get paid $20 or p- petrol money to get to get around. When I go to the nationals, they just pay uh, pay the accommodation and food. So it's and if good. you go overseas, they pay for your, uh, your fare? Uh, yes, you've got to be an, an FAI judge to do that. I'm not that. So the last time I went overseas, I was there as a the manager. So they paid my fare for yes, that. Yes, yes, yeah. Which I think on the way back I upgraded because I couldn't get into the economy seat anymore. <laughs> when you were uh, jumping competitively, mm. or were you doing it for fun or was it all competition? Well, at that time, uh, my fun was competition. Yes, I, I, I did mainly well, 95% was all competition. And what was the best thing about parachuting? Oh, I think it was, I've tried lots of sports in my life and it was the only one I was any good at. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's a good reason. <laughs> so so you, you do that. I don't think, I think competition is, it's good because you're just competing against yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not a team sport, it's an individual yes. sport. And, and that's I'm going good. to come back to that in a minute because I saw a picture in the paper the other day of what looked like, I don't know, 50 people all holding hands in a circle, parachuting. Yep. Vertical. Vertical? Oh, well, oh, vertical, yes. Yeah, not horizontal, not flat. Not, okay. not flat to And that seemed to me it would have to have a lot of team. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think the Australian record at the moment, flat is about 130 or something like that in one group. But uh, that's they're usually done in the States because we don't have the aircraft here to... I think that was seven aircraft. No, it's good. I mean... It, it's getting now, I think, that a lot of old people, yes, such as yes. yourself, Henry, <laughs> Thank you. can can have a go because they're building a wind tunnel in Melbourne oh. out at uh, Essendon Airport. A wind tunnel? A vertical for, wind tunnel. So you can, you can just jump with hop, a parachute? No, no, no parachute. You just get in the wind tunnel and you can fly. For people that have never done it before, you go with an instructor and he holds you and yeah. you go up and down and turn and spin and do all that. And it's great because the landing is very soft. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and you don't have to worry about who packed this rig. So you're saying that the best thing while you were jumping was that you could do it, that you enjoyed it? Yes. And it was, it was you, you met up with friends and you yeah. had a, a good time, you know, sort of yes. before and after the jumps. Yeah. Uh, quite a few times after the jumps. Too. <laughs> yes. What was the worst thing about it? Oh, I remember in, uh, in Canada, I was at the, the Winter Festival at Niagara. Mm-hmm. Niagara Falls, mm-hmm. and it was bloody freezing, 
<laughs> I was the last person in the plane and I think the second last guy got out and I went out with him. And they came down and said, oh, you terrible, you can have a rejump. You know, I said, I'm not getting that bloody plane again, it's freezing. <laughs> and they said, but you're winning. I said, I don't give a damn, I'm not going on that plane. <laughs> Too cold. <laughs> Too cold. So that's about the only thing. But nowadays, it isn't a problem because all the planes have had doors on them and they're heated and it's, it's just a different ball game now than it was in the, in the 60s. In the early times. Yes. So if we move to judging, what is it that you like about judging? Again, it's sort of it's it's a camaraderie. It's just getting in with a group of people that you have something in common with. Yep. And you sort of, uh, I think when you any time you get any group of people together, they're be it football, or cricket, they're all mad about it. Then yes. you you just feel at home and at ease talking to them, and and it keeps your your mind going. You know, you have to be reasonably sharp if you if you're judging, because if, especially if you're judging the the uh, relative work things and. You've got four men in the air all doing sort of uh, manoeuvres and you have to check that they're correctly done and the intimate between them is correct and everything else. And when they're doing 30, sort of a rate of one a second or something, it gets quite... So they're going, they're going from, uh, I don't even know what you call it, from position to position. Yes. This, this, very, very quickly. And yes. there's four of them doing it. Yeah, I think at the record at the moment it's something like 51 in 35 seconds. So they're yeah. really moving. So... When they get up that speed, then you need slow motion on the video to check it. To check it, yeah. Yeah, because what it is is the four people are going and you're there's a video cameraman flying with them. Oh, and they have to present the video to you down on the ground. Mm-hmm. When they land, it gets dubbed and then you've got all the judges sit around watching big screen. And the only bad part about that is that whilst you're watching and judging it, there's another big screen out with the competitors there watching it going, oh, they missed that. <laughs> <laughs> So that's so, a bit scary. So is it a, a stressful thing, uh, judging I'm talking about? Is that stressful? Oh, it can be. Yeah. It can be, but not normally. No, no, normally it's pretty good. I think it, as you become more competent, it becomes less stressful. Right. Like anything, yeah, really, once you yeah. experience in doing something. What about jumping itself? Is that stressful? Like no. your first jump, your well, first think, jump? No, the first jump isn't so bad. It's the second jump. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, because the first jump, I can tell you anything you like, and you just go, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not until you do it, then you go, oh, Christ, he's right. <laughs> you know? But nowadays, I mean, they, the, the training and everything's so different. Nowadays, if you, you got the money, it's, you go up in 12,000 feet with two guys hanging onto you, and you just do a free fall from 12,000 feet, and they're hanging onto each side of you. So. Oh, right. It, it really is. Is that to keep you stable in the air? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And they're there if, to, to make sure you do pull. <laughs> if you don't, and if, no, if you don't, there's an automatic opener will open it for you anyway. But it's, it's a whole different ballgame now. The technique and the ability of the people is far, far greater than it was in my day. Well, I was going to ask you, with the, uh, the advance in design of shoots and, as you say, the automatic opening and that, you would think that it would be simpler. Yes, it is. It is. I mean, I, I, I think I was lucky. I started uh, in 62 where there were round canopies. Right. You know, I went from there to a parafoil canopy and then from there to the squares. Yeah. And now they're all squares. You don't see anything but squares. And they're, they're high, really high performance. You know, they're doing 40, 50 kilometers an hour. Maybe the technology's made it simpler, but the maneuvers they're doing are more difficult. Yes, the, the movers, especially with, with people, it's, it's funny. I just looked at, uh, some the other day from the world, from the, I think it was the world of the US championships. I was doing some training going back. And the speed of the individual and style is no greater than it was when I was jumping. 
You know, okay. sort of some things, that's the basic. That's like the 100 meters yeah. during a set of six maneuvers in the fastest time you can, which is turn, turn, loop, turn, turn, loop. Mm-hmm. Um, that hasn't progressed greatly. The world time is five and a bit seconds, I think. And when I was doing it, it was about seven and a bit. Okay. But the average seems to be about the nines, which is what we were doing when I was there. Have there been any incidents when you've uh, been parachuting or when you've been judging? Oh, I think they're, they're um, you know, I take it to incidents, you mean sort of things going well, good, wrong? Good, good, <laughs> yes. Good, bad. I'm, I'm well, a... I think it, I remember when I had Paracommander, which is a sort of a modified round, round, I think I had one malfunction and a thousand jumps. And then after 72... How many jumps have you done? Oh, about 1,100. But nowadays they do that in a year. <laughs> okay. I, mean, I mean, I think when I started, I, I could only afford once, one every fortnight with mm, yes. on apprentices' wages. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you couldn't do much. But nowadays it's, the wages are so high and yeah. the costs are reasonable. They do, you know, 1,000 a year. Something. So you said there was one incident? Uh... I had one there. And then I got... Uh, I remember after the 72 World Champs, we got this new... S- squarish canopy and I sort of got that and it was the start of it things wrong with it didn't go well after about seven modifications I said oh, I'll get rid of this <laughs> but no nothing's if I have I the only ever hurt myself I think once in um, at Normandy in France I sort of they said I broke my leg but it wasn't it was just bruised so so much for the doctors and the x-ray and, and uh, once in Perth they said no there was nothing wrong with me I find I chipped my heel so Again, I was. So it's all. That's about nothing it. Nothing happens till you hit the ground. That's, that's when, it. That's when it all happens. That's exactly. <laughs> you leave an everlasting impression. <laughs> what about other people? Have you been? Have you seen any serious accidents? I, I'm sorry to talk to, to you about accidents, but that's the first thing people think about. Yeah, look, I, I haven't really seen any deaths. I've seen few people break things and yeah. things like that. But no, I mean there are deaths. That's mm. for sure. The, most of them are preventable. Usually it's because somebody's done something they shouldn't have done. So it's it's more the person than the uh, equipment? Yes. Yeah, and generally that's the case. You know, I think if if you do things correctly and in this right sequence and do what you were trained to do, usually there's, there's not much to do. And, and it, it gets so commonplace. I remember, I remember when you were training, you'd be sitting in the aircraft looking down, trying to spot where you wanted to exit, and... Suddenly you're in the air. You don't even remember getting out. You just <laughs> become so automatic. You just sort of hop out. But look, it's great fun, especially nowadays when you start talking about these big ways where you get a hundred people all getting in the air at one time and doing that. Any chance of getting muddled up? You've got that many people and they're very close together. Yes. Well, you do. They all train, of course, on do what they call dirt dives. So on the grind, everybody's on things scooting around trying to get to the right spot. And it, it has to be exact. I mean, you have to for the big ways you have to say I will dock on that person and you've got a photograph to prove it and if you're not on that person mm-hmm. it doesn't count when you're in the plane you know who you are going to connect with oh yes yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know exactly who you're going what your slot is right and how you break it and then if you notice that the, the interesting thing is on the big ways if you see them not when they build it it's mm-hmm. when they separate it up right like you'll find that X group will exit at this height and then the photos will oh, go down and they'll exit at this height. So there'll yes. be three different heights of, or four different heights of exitings. Yeah. It's interesting. That's really to see them tracking away. 
the new move, of course, is wingsuiting. Everybody's starting to get into wingsuiting. I've seen it on YouTube. Yes. Well, there's nowadays the, the wingsuits have got such a low ratio, down forty percent, and cut it down to, and they've actually can just explain what that means. Sort of your horizontal speed mm. is, is greater than your vertical speed, and you can see so photographs. You're going, let's say, I'd say two hundred and fifty meters horizontally for a drop of one hundred meters, something like that. Yes, yeah. but you've, I've actually seen photos. I've never seen it done, but actually seen photos of guys under canopy, right? The canopy's open and they're flying and they're actually standing on the back of the wingsuit and he's in free fall. Just to show you the different, the, the horizontal speed they can now, can now achieve. It's, it's a race to see who's going to land with anything. You, you said before that judging or being involved mm. could, could apply to any sport. Yes, I think so. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, there's always sort of scorers in, in football yeah. or cricket. And so we're talking about things that people can do in, re- in retirement. You're saying... Okay, if you played cricket, yeah, go back to you the could club go and be, be a scorer. Yeah, yeah, or you could, you could sort of help with the equipment or something, you know. Yes, and it's it's something that it gets you out of the house and gets you away from the weekend and forces you to just meet old and new people. Yes. Uh, so, have you got any advice for people who, as they're coming up to retirement and when they're retired, what what would you say to people? Oh, I'd say it's it's a great time of life. It really is. I've I've got more things happening now than I had when I was on the farm. It was get up, do this, do that, and it was all very measurement. Yeah. Now it's it's depending on the day. If it's a nice sunny day, I go and play golf. If it's not, I sort of go down the bike and do something the else. gym, uh, do something else. So look, uh, don't be afraid of retirement. It's great. It really is good. Um, as long as the government leaves me enough money, <laughs> I'm happy. Jim, that is absolutely perfect. Thank you very much for talking to us. And I'll see you in another 20 years. Well, Jim certainly has had a full and an exciting life with lots of adventures and an unbelievable amount of travel. And like lots of people who I've interviewed on this podcast, Jim gave careful thought to what he was going to do during his retirement. Uh, He had been living on a farm after his wife died. He thought, no, it would be better if he moved into the city. And that's what he did. He carefully selected the place he was going to live and thought deeply about how he was going to put in his time and he seems to have filled up his time dramatically. You're going to hear how he did that but in particular what I want you to take note of is that he used the skills and the experience that he had in his love of parachuting and developed that into an activity during his retirement. Why did he do it? Because he said he loves the sport and he loves the camaraderie that goes with with people who are involved in the same thing and love the same thing as he does. And so the experiences that he has had, you can transfer into almost any sport or any activity. Listen to what he is saying and think about, well, I wasn't a parachutist, but I have done other stuff. How can I transfer those experiences into my retirement? At one point during the interview, Jim talks about flying with a kite suit. And in the show notes, I have put a link to a YouTube video that shows just what that's all about. It might really excite you or it might scare you to death. I'll leave that up to you. Go to retiredexcited.com, find episode number 19 and have a look at the video. The link is right there for you. I'd be really pleased if you would leave me a comment at retiredexcited.com on episode number 19 
and tell me what you think not only about parachuting but whether the skills that you have developed all your life can be transferred into your retirement whether you would do that how you would do that what you think about that whole concept so signing off henry at retiredexcited.com peace health and happiness and i look forward to seeing you again next week I like that. I wanted to give that a go for sure. Um, Ian, that was terrific. That was interesting. What a good idea.